we're going to continue a series that we began together last Sunday entitled Reset. And we began talking about what does it mean to discover God's default setting for our life. And if you think about uh, the reality that God is a creator and God is an awesome, amazing God, and that when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God actually had an original plan and an original purpose for humanity. And in Genesis chapter 1, we kind of get a glimpse into God's plan and God's purpose, God's default setting for our lives. And so uh, beginning last week and over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how do we reset to that. Because we live in a culture where the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly pulling us away from that default setting, pulling us away from that place that God really intended us not only to live in, but to operate in in such a way that would bring his kingdom into our world in which we're living. So Genesis chapter 1 uh, verse 26 through 28 says this, Then the Lord God, then, the, then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So let's look at that first point together. So we reset. Why do we need to reset? We need to reset in order to represent God in the earth, right? We need to reset because God wants us to represent him in such a way that accurately defines and declares who he is. So think about this statement. So we reset to represent God in the earth. We were created to govern the earth as representatives of God. That's an exciting thought. You were created to govern. Governing authority is intended to flow through your life. You were intended to be a representative of God and to allow his righteousness, his peace, and his joy to flow through you, right? Romans chapter 14 tells us that the kingdom of God is not in food and in drink, but it's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we talked last week that when we begin to govern and when we begin when we begin to reset our hearts to God, we begin to become that governing agency through which the righteousness of God, through which the peace of God, and through which the joy of the Lord begins to flow out into the world around us. So we ask the question, how do I change the world? And we say, well, it's actually a little bit simpler than we think, right? If I try to focus on changing everybody around me, I'm probably in for a long haul. That's probably an uphill battle, right? How many of you can agree to that, right? You try to change all the people around you, it's really an uphill battle and usually it doesn't work. But guess what? I can change the world by letting God change me. And when I become a representative of Jesus Christ and I reset my heart to that place where God begins to govern through me and the authority of God begins to flow through me, then righteousness, peace, and joy begin to saturate the culture and the environment which I'm living in. And there now becomes a ripple effect of righteousness where God's kingdom begins to advance in other people's lives because I've chosen to let God work in me. Amen? So, we can't rightly govern if we are not rightly connected to the one that we're representing. So, it's important that we reset, right? So, this whole reset idea, going back kind of to the basics of what it means to reconnect our hearts to who God has called us to be, is significant because it really is about us representing and then governing the earth as a representative 
of God. Amen? So we said last week that prayer resets us, right? We said prayer resets us because it takes us back to our default setting, which is intimacy with God. We said that, that Adam and Eve went from bowing and bending to walking and talking, right? That God intended us to have an intimate relationship with Him. The, the original intent of creation and humanity is that God and man would live in intimate communion together. So prayer takes us back. It resets us to that default place of intimacy with God. Well, today we're going to talk about fasting. So look at that next point. Prayer resets us, but fasting also resets us. Fasting takes us back to our default setting, which is dependency upon God. How many of you know that God never intended Adam and Eve to live independent? He actually intended them to live dependent upon Him. Now, dependency doesn't mean we don't make choices and decisions, and it doesn't mean we don't do what God has called us to do. Dependency means that we recognize that we never live a life independent of Him, that our authority really flows through our dependency. The more I live in a dependent mentality upon God, the more authority of God's kingdom flows through me. Because I begin to recognize that He is my strength, He is my wisdom, He is my might, He is my power. That everything that I need and everything I could ever hope for in life comes from God. And that's a dependent mentality. And so God wants us to live a life of dependency upon Him. Where we're looking to Him, where we're trusting Him. Jesus actually said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt without God. I mean, if you think about it, whenever most of us, most people come to God, right, when they hit rock bottom, right? Isn't that tragic? But that's really what happens. Most people come to God. When they get to the end, they've lost everything they've got. They've hit rock bottom. And finally, they realize that nothing else works, and they finally turn their heart and their lives over to God. And the reality is simply this. You don't have to lose everything to become dependent on God. It really is as simple as understanding what the purpose of fasting is all about. Fasting drives us back to a place of dependency upon God. Because think about this for a minute. Self-discipline is something we are typically not real good at. When you start telling yourself no, how many of you know most of us as Americans don't ever tell ourselves no? We're really good at telling ourselves yes, right? We eat what we want to eat. We go where we want to go. We do what we want to do. We say what we want to say, and then we expect everybody else to just live with it, right? That's just who I am. Just live with it, right? We we do what we want to do. Very few people in our American culture have learned the discipline of telling themselves no. And here's what I've found out, and you have too. If you've ever decided to tell yourself no, you've realized how much you really do need God, (laughs) It's amazing, right? We're about to start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So just imagine if you said, tomorrow I'm not going to eat or drink anything. Let's imagine you did that. Tomorrow I'm not going to eat or drink anything. Now drinking, that's a whole new ballgame, right? I'm not going to eat or drink anything. You know what would happen if you decided to deny yourself no food and no drink tomorrow? You'd probably pray more than you've prayed in a long time. Because all of a sudden when I deny my flesh, I realize I have a dependency upon God. Right? If I'm going to learn how to walk in self-discipline, I'm going to have to learn how to walk in dependence upon God. Jesus said as he was talking to his disciples, he said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And the reality is until I learn how to discipline my flesh, I'm never going to walk in the fullness of God's spirit because it's only when I begin to lean upon him and find a dependency upon God that I then begin to find the authority that I need to live out the life 
that God has called me to live. And so as we talk about fasting today, we're going to see how that fasting really does create a dependency. It drives us to a place, not where we don't do anything, right? We have this kind of dependent mentality in our culture, right, where we say, well, we got people that are dependent on the government, and they're dependent on this, and they're dependent on that. And usually when we think of somebody being dependent, a lot of times we think of they're lazy and they just don't want to work. <laughs> how many know that's not God's idea of dependency? God's idea of dependency is that dependency releases authority so you can rise up and do the things that God has called you to do. So you can live the life God has called you to live. So you can be the person that God has called you to be. And that only happens when I begin to recognize how much I need God, right? He is my strength. He is my shield. He is my hope. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my energy. He is my life. And all of a sudden I begin to live with a dependent mentality that leans on and looks to God, right? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And fasting is all about that. Fasting is all about moving us back to a place of dependency where I recognize that I need to deny my flesh and I need to depend on the Spirit because it is his strength that overcomes my weakness. Amen? It is his strength that overcomes my weakness. So let's look together. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 is probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on fasting. As a matter of fact, the whole chapter is really kind of devoted to God describing and defining the fast that really pleases him. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, God actually rebukes the children of Israel because they were fasting and praying, but they were fasting and praying and their hearts weren't right. How many of you understand motive matters to God? Right? It's not enough just to do the right things. You can jump through all the religious hoops you want to jump through, but if your heart is not right with God, it kind of just don't count. <laughs> it doesn't please God. It doesn't produce the fruit that you want it to produce. And so God begins by rebuking the children of Israel because they're going through the motions of prayer and fasting, but they're not really crossing over into what God intended them to do as a result of a fast. So in this scripture, God kind of gives us a heavenly or a biblical perspective of fasting that kind of enlarges our understanding. And so my prayer today is that we're going to get an enlarged understanding of what it really means to fast and pray as we press into God. So Isaiah 58, we're going to just kind of read through the chapter together and we're going to kind of stop along the way and kind of make some evaluations, okay? Verse 1 says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. What's interesting in verse 1 is God says to Isaiah, I want you to shout loud like a trumpet and tell my people Israel their sins. How many of you understand that God loves us enough to confront us in our sin? God confronts us in our sin, but God never condemns us in our sin. When God confronts you about an issue in your life, you know what God is doing? God is loving you to the point that God says, I want to confront you because I want to deliver you, and I want to redeem you, and I want to rescue you. And sometimes God will just confront the issues in your life, and it's almost overwhelming. But how many of you understand, when God confronts you, he's not trying to condemn you. God is trying to transform you into the person that he's called you to be. I remember years ago, and I've shared this before, but years ago I was early in the ministry and I was praying one day and I said, God, how do you really see me? And I knew that he loved me and I knew that all of the things that he says about me, but I was just really trying to get gut level honest with God. And, and I'll never forget what the Lord said. He, he, gave, he gave me one word. He said sloppy. Sloppy. Now he wasn't talking about the way I was dressing. He was actually talking about the fact that my life lacked order. 
There wasn't order. There wasn't structure. There wasn't a process by which I was living my life. And it was here a little and there a little. And, the, and whatever will squeak the loudest is whatever got my attention. And God said, Keith, your life's sloppy. You're lacking the order and the discipline that you're going to need to do the things that I've called you to do. And if you don't change that, then you're never going to step into what I have for you. Now, when God told me my life was sloppy, did he want me to walk around for the next three weeks and say, oh, I'm so sloppy and it's so pitiful and I don't know what I'm going to do? No, God didn't want me to do that. God wanted me to rise up that moment. God wanted me to repent of living an undisciplined life. And God wanted me to allow him by his spirit to begin to bring the structure and the order of heaven into my life so I could begin to move forward into the things that God had for me. God did not confront my sin because he was condemning me. God confronted my sin because he wanted to deliver me from the thing that was keeping me from moving in to his promise. And so God tells Isaiah, I want you to shout aloud the sins of the people. And then look at verse 2. He goes into telling them what their sins are. He says, they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Do you see a couple words there? He says, they act pious, they act righteous, they pretend to want to be near me. What's he saying? He's saying they're doing all the right things, but their heart's not right. They're going through the motions, but their heart is not right. It's all an act. How many know God's not impressed with actors? God's not looking for a church full of actors. God's looking for people to get real in their hearts with him. Amen? Look at verse 3. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed, God? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. Now listen to what the people are saying. They're saying, God, we're fasting, we're praying, we're afflicting our flesh, and God, you're not even noticing it. Nothing's happening. You're not answering our prayers. Nothing's changing. And Lord, we just don't understand why you're not moving on our behalf. We're doing all the right things. But God says you're doing them for the wrong reasons. Look at the rest of this verse. He says, I will tell you why. I responded, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? God says everything you're doing, you're doing all the right stuff, but your heart's wrong. The motivation, you're going through the motions. You're going through all the processes. You're doing all the things you're supposed to do, but your heart is not right. With me. Let me give you our first thought. I want you to see this. Look at this next point. So I want you to understand, first of all, that fasting is not about manipulating God in order to get him to do what we want. See, if we're not careful in our American culture, everything's about us. Right? Everything's about us. We want it all to be about us. And this is what I want, and this is how I like it, and this is what I want you to do when I'm around you because this is who I am and I need this. And we are a very self-centered society, unfortunately. And we have to be on purpose about not being self-centered. Because the carnal mentality of our lives is to default to a self-centered mentality instead of a God-centered mentality. 
And so we recognize that prayer and fasting is not about manipulating God. It's not about I'm going to pray and fast for the next 21 days and I'm going to get God to do what he said he would do because I need to break through my family and I need to break through my marriage and I need to break through my body. So God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and you said you'd do it and I'm going to believe you to do it and I'm trusting you to do it. And God, if you don't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so Lord, I'm doing it. And a lot of times we turn prayer and fasting into manipulation. We're trying to twist the arm of God. I'll never forget Kelly. She went through, many of you know, a 10-year battle of severe depression. In the middle of that battle, I was in my quiet time one day, and I read the scripture where, where Jesus cast the evil spirit out of the young boy that was possessed. And the disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And so I read that scripture, and I thought, God, you said that through prayer and fasting, we can break the strongholds of the enemy. And I knew depression was a demonic stronghold that had come against my wife. And I said, God, this is what I said. I said, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast until you heal her. And I'll never forget what the Holy Spirit said to me really quickly. He said, you're going to starve to death and die. You're going to starve to death and die. And I'm like, well, God, you said in your word that through prayer and fasting this will be broken. And then I'll never forget the next thing the Holy Spirit said. God said to me, he said, I will not be manipulated. You're not going to twist my arm. You're not going to use my word to twist my arm. And this is what he said next. He said, you don't have to manipulate me to heal her. I want to heal her. I want to heal her. I want to deliver her. I want to set her free. So stop trying to manipulate me and just begin to get in agreement with me, begin to become dependent upon me, and begin to trust me, and I'll do what I said I would do because I watch over my word to perform it. But he said, I will not be manipulated. See, many times we want to manipulate God. We want to take his word and kind of twist his arm. Well, God, you said we're kind of twisting our arm. Think about this for just a minute. If you have to manipulate somebody to bless you, then you don't really believe they want to bless you. If you have to manipulate somebody to help you, you don't really believe they want to help you because if you really thought they wanted to help you, all you would do is ask for help and they would help you. But the fact that you're not asking for help, you're trying to manipulate them into helping you, says that your heart, in your heart, you really don't believe they want to help you, so you have to manipulate them into helping you. When you start manipulating God through prayer and fasting, and you start trying to twist the arm of God to do something. Well, Lord, you said it, you said it, you said it. And you're kind of poking God with his own word. I want you to understand what that really means is your heart doesn't have faith. You don't really believe God wants to help you. You don't really believe God wants to deliver you. Because if you really believed it, all you'd do is ask. And you would get in agreement with God and you would become dependent upon him and say, Lord, I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do because I believe it's your will, it's your plan, it's your promise to heal, to deliver, to redeem, to rescue and I don't have to twist your arm and I don't have to manipulate you. I can just trust you. And so prayer and fasting is not about manipulating God. Look at the rest of this statement. It's about creating a dependency upon God that allows him to work in us, allows him to work through us, and allows him to work for us in a way that declares his sufficiency and his sovereignty over our lives. If you've been saved for a while, you probably already recognize Jesus is enough. Right? He really is enough. He is enough. There is a sufficiency in Christ that is enough. 
There is a sovereignty in God that when you invite God into the circumstance and situation in your life, God can trump your circumstance. God can trump the, the situations of your life. God can move supernaturally in your life. He can, he can overcome the natural laws of humanity, and he can intervene. When you begin to live a life of dependency and say, God, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do because you said it's your will that these things happen in my life. And so fasting is not about manipulating God. It's about creating a heart of dependency upon him so God can work in you, so God can work through you, and so God can work for you to accomplish his good pleasure. Amen. So let's look at the rest of this scripture. Look at verse 6, Isaiah 58. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. So God's going to tell us the kind of fasting that he really wants. Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. So I want you to see this statement. Look at the next point on your outline. Fasting is more than abstaining from food. Fasting is about abolishing oppression. So let's talk about that first part for just a minute. Fasting is more than abstaining from food. But I'm going to stop right there because fasting is about abstaining from food. But it's more than that. If all if your fast is only about what you're not going to eat for the next 21 days, then you're going to miss God in the fast. And I've met a lot of people, they spent, the, they spent 21 days thinking about, talking about what they're not eating. And their 21-day fast was all about what I'm not eating. And that was it. And I can't wait till I get to this fast. I'm going to go get me a big old steak. And I can't wait till I get, I'm going to get this. And I'm going to eat that. And it was all about what I'm not eating. Fasting is about abstaining from food. The word fast in the Hebrew literally means, in this scripture Isaiah, it literally means to cover your mouth. To guard what goes in. And how many know fasting also means we need to guard what comes out? God actually rebuked the children of Israel. I don't know if you heard it there. He said, you call this a fast while you're still fighting and quarreling with one another? That's not fasting. Fasting is setting a cover over your mouth, guarding what goes in and guarding what comes out. That's a fast that pleases God. i got to set a guard over my mouth. So I want to do this. I want to challenge you as we go on this 21 days of fasting. For some of you, this is your first time. For others of you, you've been doing it for many years. I want to challenge you to do something. Fast some kind of food or drink, something that goes in your mouth. Because it is amazing. It is amazing how that when you deny yourself food and drink, you realize how dependent you have to be on God. Because we just, let's just be honest, we like to eat. Don't we? I mean, you eat breakfast and you start thinking about what we're having for lunch. You eat lunch and you start talking about what we're eating for supper. You eat supper and you start talking about what we're going to have tomorrow. Isn't it crazy how much we think about, how much we talk about, how much we plan our lives around food. See, we want to come to a place where our bodies are our servants and not our masters. If I'm mastered by the appetite of my flesh, then it is now a master and no longer a servant. And my body makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a horrible master. So part of fasting, 99% of the time when the, word, when the word fast is used in the Bible, it's talking about abstaining from some kind of food or drink. 
Jesus fasted for 40 days a night. Moses fasted for 40 days a night. There are, there are overwhelming uh, numbers of people in the Bible fasted for three days, fasted for one day, fasted for 21 days. There are multiple fasts. So I want to encourage you, fast from something, okay? But I also want to encourage you to understand fasting is more than just abstaining from food. If your fast is only about what you're not going to eat for 21 days, then you're going on a spiritual diet. Right? How many know fasting is not a spiritual diet? If you want to diet and lose weight, that's wonderful, but that's not a fast. Right? If you want to diet and lose weight, that's wonderful, but that's not a fast. A fast is abstaining from food for the purpose of creating a dependency upon God and drawing nearer to Him. And so it can't be all about food. If it's all about food, it's not really a fast. So God says this, here's the fast I've chosen. I'm going to reread it to you, okay? Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burdens of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Now you might read that and say, Pastor Keith, what does that have to do with me? I've never put anybody in prison. Nobody works for me. I don't have any slaves and nobody's chained to my dungeon." Right, so how does this apply to me? These four things, when you really study it out, real, all four of them deal with people being oppressed. It's the idea of oppression. So this is what it means to fast. Fasting is abstaining from food, but fasting is also abolishing oppression. What does the word oppression mean? It means to be burdened. It means to be weighted down. It means to have a load that you can't carry. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you, let's do a biblical fast. Let's abstain from food, but let's abolish oppression. So what does that look like? Over the next 21 days, every day as we abstain from food, let's also ask the question, whose burden can I bear today? What load can I lighten today? Think about it, husbands and wives. Husbands, wives, think about it. What can you do for your spouse just to lighten the load? Maybe it's doing the dishes. Maybe it's picking up after yourself that you normally don't do. Maybe it's taking the garbage out. Maybe it's vacuuming the floors. What can I do to lighten the load? Parents to children, children to parents. What can I do to lighten the load? Coworker to coworker, think about it. What can you do to lighten the load? Maybe right now you're working with somebody and they're going through some personal things at home and they're really struggling on the job. Instead of sitting around talking about them, well, I wish they'd carry their weight. What would happen if you decided, I'm going to lighten their load? I'm going to become a burden bearer. And I'm not saying forever, and I'm not saying they shouldn't do their job. That's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about those that are unjustly oppressed. Those that have been put under a weight that wasn't necessarily the result of the choice and decisions they made. So how can I lighten that load? How can I become a burden bearer? How many of you know that Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer? Right? When you come to Christ, I love it when people tell me about getting saved. And they say, man, when I accepted Christ, it was like a million pounds was lifted off my shoulders. Do you remember feeling that? Like the weight of the world was lifted off of you. Why? Because when you meet the burden bearer, he lifts the load off your life. And so part of fasting is fasting is abstaining, but fasting is also abolishing. Oppression. So how can I lift the load? How can I be a burden bearer today in somebody else's life? I want to give you two scriptures, not on the screen. Matthew 23, verse 4. Write this down. You can look it up when you get home. Jesus is 
rebuking the Pharisees. He says, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus said to the Pharisees that they had took the laws of God and turned the laws of God into burdens that they laid on people's shoulders. He says they're weighing people down and they're not even lifting one finger to lighten the load. If we're not careful, I want you to hear me, if we're not careful as Christians, we can move into a place of legalism where Christianity becomes a burden we bear instead of the joy that we share. Right? If we're not careful... We can become legalistic. That's why I told you last week, as we start this fast, we don't have any fasting police. What does that mean? It means that when you fast, you fa your fast is between you and God. And it's not my job to monitor you. It's not my job to blow the whistle on you and say, you're not supposed to be eating that. Right? I'm not the fasting police. If you eat steak every day, praise God, you eat steak every day. If you see me eating a steak, don't say, oh, Pastor Keith must not be fasting. You're not the fasting police. Right? Fasting is not a burden we bear. Fasting is something God gave us to reset our hearts to a place of dependency upon God so that we lean on Him to give us the grace and the strength to do what we've been called to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with accountability. Our family holds each other accountable through the fast. But you know what? There's no fasting police. Why? Because our job is not to take the commandments of God and make burdens out of them. Our job is to allow the commandments of God to become burden bearers that lift the load off of people's lives. Let me give you one more scripture about this and we're going to move on. Galatians 6.2 if you want to write it down. Galatians 6.2 simply says this, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So for the next 21 days as we fast, we're going to abstain and we're going to abolish. We're going to abstain from certain foods because we're fasting, but we're also going to abolish. We're going to become a burden bearer. We're going to become a load lifter every day in people's lives. You want to talk about your life radiating the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord? What would happen if every time you walked in the room, people knew you were going to bear the burden. Now again, I'm not talking about an unjust thing. I'm not talking about people that are not willing to work. I'm not talking about people that constantly don't do the right thing. I'm just talking about you being the kind of person that automatically lightens the load on the people around you because you're a burden bearer. That's the fast, God says, that pleases me. Now let's look at verse 7, Isaiah 58. He says, share your food with the hungry. He's still telling them, this is what I want. This is the fast that pleases me. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. I told last service he could have left that relative part out, couldn't he? That just kind of put us all over the barrel, didn't it? We all got those relatives who always need help. Look at that next statement. I want you to see it. So fasting is more. Fasting is more than what we give up. Yeah, we're going to give up some things, right? And we should give up some things. Why? Because we need to discipline our bodies. And we need to live in dependency upon God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a man, a man that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city whose walls are torn down. See, if you can't get control over your own flesh, you ain't got to worry about the devil because you're defenseless anyway. The devil doesn't even have to mess with most people because most people self-destruct. Right? Right? Because you don't have rule. So we, we, we discipline ourselves and we depend on God. We look to him for our dependency creates authority that allows us to walk 
in victory over our own flesh. So I want you to see it. So fasting is more than what we give up. We're going to give up some things. But don't spend the next 21 days talking about what you're giving up. If you do that, you're going to miss the whole fast. You're going to miss the whole fast. And I've heard Christians, right, they spend the whole time we're fasting talking about, boy, I don't have to give us up. Boy, it's so hard giving us up. I wish I wouldn't have to give us up. I can't wait till I get to eat pizza again. Or I can't wait till I get the ice cream again. And I just keep having to give all. we got a lot of our young people are fasting social media. I think that's an awesome fast. I think it's something specifically for our younger generation that are glued to their phones, right? We're all a little guilty of that, amen? I know some older folks that need to fast from social media too, right? Amen? But the reality is, is it's good that we disconnect so we can reconnect to God? But fasting is more than what we're giving up. He says, I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to clothe the naked. I want you to give shelter to those who have no place to go. And I want you to be kind and help the relatives that you have that are in need. In other words, God says it's not just about what you're giving up. It's about what you're giving out. What are you going to give out during this fast? What if every day we said, hey, today I'm going to abstain and I'm going to abolish. I'm going to give up, but you know what? Every day I'm going to give out. Think about it. Maybe you're fasting lunch. Maybe you're skipping fasting one meal a day. Well, think about this. What would happen if you took that $10 you're going to spend on lunch and you sowed that as a seed into somebody that was in need? What if you're cutting out meats and sweets and you're going to cut $30 or $40 or $50 out of your grocery bill this week? What if you took that $50 and you gave it to the food bank here at the church because for $20 you can feed a family this month? What are you going to give out? See, it's not enough to give up. The reason I give up is so I am now equipped to give out. That's the fast that pleases God. So I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to abstain, and I'm going to give up, but I'm also going to bear burdens. I'm going to think about whose load can I lift today and what need can I meet today. How many of you realize every day we meet people that have legitimate needs? I'm not talking about people that aren't willing to work. I'm not talking about people that are... That are uh, 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 horrible managers of their money. I'm talking about people that are doing the best they can do and they still don't have enough. How many know there's a world of people out there like that? I mean, they're giving it all they got and it's still, they're still struggling just to make ends meet. Those are the people that God says, hey, meet those needs. Clothe them, feed them, care for them. Go out of your way. Think about what would happen over the next 21 days if every day we said as a part of my fast, I'm going to lighten somebody's load today and I'm going to meet somebody's need. It can be as simple as $5. It can be as simple as buying groceries and taking it to somebody in need. It can be as simple as putting somebody up in a hotel for a night because they don't have a place, a warm bed to sleep in. But I don't know what it could be, but it could be a lot of things. But it pleases God, amen? Fasting is more than just what we give up. It's what we give out. See, all of a sudden, you see what's happening? God is shifting this thing from being all about us to being all about them. And creating a dependency on him. Now I'm dependent on God and I'm ministering to people. And it ain't about me. Because again, we have a tendency to make everything about me. And even prayer and fasting becomes all about what I want God to do for me. But what about what God wants to do through you for others? This is the fast he said I've chosen. Now let me just kind of read on just a little bit. I want to read Matthew 25 to you. Matthew 25 Jesus said, and the king will say to those on his right hand, he's talking about judgment, and the king separating people as sheep from goats. And he will say, come to you, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. 
I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones <coughs> will reply. <coughs> Boy, that sounded good. Kelly's going to throw me my water. For everybody watching on video, I'm really sorry. That probably sounded really bad, didn't it? <clears throat> and the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? <clears throat> or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Right? This is the fast that pleases God. Not, what we, not just what we give up, but what we give out to meet the needs of people around us. Amen? Let me give you one last thing, and we've got a couple more points. We're going to wrap up together. Verse 13 of Isaiah 58. <clears throat> Through the mouth of Isaiah, God says this. <clears throat> he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day, and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. So I want you to see this. Look at that next point. Fasting is more than giving God 21 days at the beginning of a year. Fasting is really about honoring God with a Sabbath day every week. See, God told the children of Israel, if you really want to please me, if you want to do a fast that pleases me, then I want you to abolish oppression. I want you to feed and clothe the hungry and the naked, and I want you to honor me on the Sabbath day. Now, in, according to the Jewish calendar and, and according to the scripture, the Sabbath day was on Saturday. In six days, God worked, and on the seventh day, God rested. But Revelations, I mean Revelations, Romans chapter 14 tells us that one man esteems one day as under the Lord and another man esteems another day under the Lord. And basically Paul says this, it doesn't matter what day you esteem unto God as long as you honor God on that day. And so as New Testament Christians, we worship on Sunday. Sunday has become our Sabbath. It's become our day of rest. It's a day that we cease from our work and we worship. So we don't work, we worship. We don't work, we worship. That's what we do on Sunday. And so God says, honor me. So fasting is more than just 21 days. Fasting is about committing to God. Lord, I'm going to take a weekly Sabbath and worship you. Now I understand that we worship God every day, right? Every day ought to be a holy day unto the Lord. But how many of you understand there's something special about the ecclesia? That's the Greek word for the church. When we are called out to come together and all of a sudden the church begins to come together and gather to worship. There's something powerful about this. And I have people come to me all the time. They'll say, Pastor Keith, man, I missed church last week and my week was horrible. Right? I just hate it when I miss church. There's something about coming to church that just refreshes me. It refuels me. It recharges me. And it helps me make it through the week. Now understand, I'm not saying that Sunday should be the only day we worship. And I'm not saying Sunday should be the only day we get in the Word. We need to worship and be in the Word every single day of our lives. But there is something special about a Sabbath, a day of rest and refreshment where we cease from our work and we worship God together and God says that's a fast that pleases me because think about it what does fasting do it creates dependency 
So whenever I take one day a week and I stop working and I start worshiping, what I'm really saying to God is, Lord, I'm depending on you to bless my six days so I can do more in my six days than I could do if I worked seven days. It's kind of like the tithe, right? If I give God the first 10%, I believe that I can do more with 90% that's blessed than 100% that's not. When I give God one day a week as an act of worship, I'm not going to work, I'm going to worship, then God says, I'm trusting him, I'm creating dependency upon the Lord. It says, Lord, I'm believing you that in six days that are blessed, I can accomplish more than in seven days that aren't. I'm going to give you a weekly Sabbath, and I'm going to honor you in that. Now, let me give you a scripture real quick. Mark chapter 2, you can write it down, it's on the screen. Mark 2, 27 and 28, Jesus is speaking. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means the Sabbath day is not something, again, that binds us. It is something that is intended to empower us. Because all of us understand when you work and 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 never rest, you know what happens? Your work diminishes, your family diminishes, your life diminishes because God created you to have a weekly Sabbath where you cease from your work and you gather to worship Him. And when we do that, you know what happens? God resets us. God refreshes us and God empowers us to live our lives for His glory. Now let's read the rest of Isaiah 58. Because verse 8 through verse 12 and then verse 14 all declare the promise of God. God says in these verses, this is what I will do for you when you fast in a way that pleases me. When you don't just abstain, but you abolish. When you don't just give up, but you actually give up. When you don't just consecrate 20 days, but you actually give me one day every week as the Sabbath. God says, this is what I'll do. Look at verse 8. He says, then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Then your light will shine out of the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as rebuilders of walls and a restorer of homes. And then the Lord will be your delight, and I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob, for I, the Lord, have spoken. That's what God says he'll do when we fast in a way that pleases him. Look at that last point right here, our last two points. Fasting produces supernatural results. Right? God says salvation will come, healing will come, deliverance will come, breakthrough will come, refreshment will come. You'll rebuild and you'll restore and you'll be a delight to me. God says amazing things will happen. Fasting produces supernatural results that come from living a life of dependency upon God. Let me give you our last point. We're going to close. God desires more than a corporate fast once a year. He desires us to live a fasted lifestyle. A fasted lifestyle. What does that mean? Many of you know uh, Pastor Keith Tusi. He's a part of NRP. And uh, 
he was visiting one time and me and him were talking about fasting and he made the statement as we were talking he said why well, live a fasted lifestyle and I said what does that mean and this is what he said and I thought it was very profound he said I have just learned to consistently tell myself no he said, when I go to work in the morning, there's a piece of pecan pie on the counter, and I start thinking about that piece of pie all day long, and by lunchtime, my mouth's watering over that piece of pecan pie. When I get home, I'm thinking about it. I can't wait till I get home and eat that piece of pecan pie. He said, I'll come in the house, I'll look at that piece of pecan pie, and I'll say, no, I'm going to eat you tomorrow. He said, when I've got the money to go buy something, and I know I could go buy it today, he said, but I really, 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 my flesh really, really, really wants it. He said, I'll tell myself, no, I'm going to wait and buy it next month. He said, I have just put into practice the practice of telling myself no so that I can make sure I live a life of dependency and discipline. Dependency upon God that produces a discipline over my flesh so that my body never becomes my master. I always want it to be my servant. He said, so I live a lifestyle of fasting. I have learned how to tell myself no. Nothing wrong with the pie. Nothing wrong with buying the thing that he wanted to buy that he could afford to buy. He said, but I've just learned that when my flesh really craves it, I need to discipline my flesh and let my body know you're not in charge. God is. I am dependent so I can be disciplined and walk in the authority that God has for me. Let's just bow our heads together this morning. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I'm not even a Christian and you're talking about fasting and I don't even know if I really understand all that you've been saying today. But this is what I believe. I believe that if you're here today, you came in hungry and looking. And I believe that regardless of what I preach, God is able to speak into your life. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never been saved. I've never truly committed my life to Christ. But I realize today that I need Jesus. I want to live a life of dependency upon God because I realize I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't rescue myself. I need God. And I want to be saved today. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And I want to commit my life from this day forward that I'm going to follow Him. If that's your heart's cry today, and you say, today I want to be saved, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want you to take a bold act of faith and just stand up right where you're seated. Just stand to your feet. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. But there's something powerful about a simple act of faith. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. And faith creates action. Faith without works, the Bible says, is dead. So if I don't have enough faith to stand, then I don't have enough faith to believe that he is who he says he is but today I want to accept Christ I want to become a Christian today and I want to follow Jesus from this day forward I realize today I need him and if I die without him the Bible says if I die without Christ I'm going to spend eternity separated from God that's not God's will that's not God's plan but that is the reality of what happens to those who reject the gift of Jesus so today the gift is yours if you want to have it you can have it today I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to pray and we're going to dismiss and go home today. But if you want to know him today as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to stand right now. One, this is your moment. Two, the Bible says today is your day.
Come on, right now on the number three, I want you to stand. Three, today you can know him. Today you can know him. Today your sins can be forgiven. That burden-bearing Jesus can lift the weight of sin and shame off your life. And today you can know him. Father, I just pray over every person here today. I thank you for the grace and the goodness of your son, Jesus. I thank you for the fact that you loved us when we didn't even love ourselves. And Lord, I thank you today, God, that there is freedom and fullness in you. So Lord, I pray today as we learn to live a fasted life of dependency upon you. God, that you would empower us and equip us. God, to walk in the authority that you have for our lives. So we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask your grace and mercy over each of us today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today. We love you. If you're visiting with us today, uh, back through the doors to my left in the cafe area, we got a gift we'd love to give you. Uh, I hope you come back and see us. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.